You're listening to Comedy Central. Welcome to a conversation about fatherhood, brought to you by the editors of Fatherly and the Dad. I'm your host and moderator, Roy Wood Jr. And like the other men you're about to meet, I'm a father. Let's get into it. Now, not all fathers are the same, but we share many of the same experiences. We've all yelled, we've all cried, we've all seen some truly disgusting bodily functions, sometimes all before eight in the morning. We all know that raising a great kid and being a great dad is hard, and the path is never all that clear. It's like driving through fog, but one thing is for sure. It gets a lot easier when you have fellow dads to talk to. So, we brought together a diverse group of men to elevate the voices of fathers, tell our truths, laugh, and hopefully share some wisdom. You're going to hear from six dads, four of them from across the country, one comedian, that's me, and one dad that happens to have been the 44th president of the United States, who at the end of the day is just a father like the rest of us. And with that, it is my honor to introduce the author of A Promised Land, 44th president of the United States, and father to Sasha and Malia, Barack Obama. Hey, people. Thank you for joining us. As you can see, uh, Brother President, I put on a nice sweater jacket pocket square so that my mama won't be disappointed. I just wanted to make sure that I impressed my mother today. Uh, Roy, I, I think you look sharp. Uh, your mama would be proud. Uh, I noticed all the other dads, though, were with me, going a little casual, not trying to, you know, put on a front the way you are with the pocket square and all that. So, uh, but that's fine. You're the host, you're a professional media guy. You got, you got an image you have to keep up. Fair enough. Well, speaking of the dads, let's go ahead and meet the dads who'll be joining us in conversation today. First, we have Felix Slater, an illustrator and video producer in North Carolina with two daughters, six and eight. Oh. We also have Chris Rizzo and Peter Smith, a lawyer and a physician assistant and a couple from New York with a six-year-old daughter and twin three-year-olds. Rob King. Rob is a writer and actor from Los Angeles with a two-year-old boy. And Carlos Mejia, whose girls three and six, he promises, Mr. President, he promises they're playing quietly in another room right now. Uh, <laughs> thank you to all the dads for being here. Say hello to the president. Hello, Mr. President. Hello, Mr. Hello. President. Well, it's good to see all of you. Although I have to say I am exhausted just hearing your biographies. <laughs> I, 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 it, it's it's bringing back flashbacks of, of uh, sleepless nights and uh, stepping on toys. Well, that's why we have you here to get ourselves a little bit of advice from one of the most prominent dads in the history of the country. Uh, Mr. President, first thing I would like to do, though, is begin with a quote from your book in a promised land. You said, quote, every parent savors such moments when the world slows down and all that matters is that you are present fully to witness the miracle of your child growing up. Could you expand on that just a little? You know, I was describing what it was like just coaching uh, Sasha's basketball, you know, rec league basketball team when she was seven or eight, even in the midst of the presidency. And, and you know, just the sheer joy that that would bring and uh, uh, wishing that uh, I'd maybe planned so that I had more of that and maybe a little less of uh meetings in the situation room. Although it's an extreme example, I think all of us uh, as parents and as fathers uh, are struggling with and trying to figure out the fact that the single most important thing in our lives 
are these little people who uh, are dependent on us and uh, we're teaching and they're bringing us joy and they're teaching us about ourselves. Um, but we also got to work, got to make a living, uh, got to hit deadlines. Sometimes I have to travel. And so often, you know, the way we organize and schedule our lives uh, uh, prevents us from being there as much as we'd like. The way you're able to multitask during during that eight years, you know, you're the president. You have to be a husband. You have to work on your jump shot. You have to still somehow find time for your kids as well. Like when you're juggling so many things, how were you always able to make sure that you were there and always fully present, not just physically, but mentally? When I was campaigning for the presidency uh, or when I was in the U.S. Senate and I had to commute back and forth between Washington and Chicago, the issue for me was just being physically present. How did I manage it? I managed it because I had this extraordinary partner who was just a great mom and was uh, carrying the the burden, the lion's share of the day-to-day, making sure that they, you know, were at the pediatrician's appointment and making sure that, you know, the, the ballet tights fit right for the dance recital and all that. And I'd show up at the dance recital, but I didn't, I wasn't combing their hair. Um, there was one time where I tried to comb Malia's hair uh, oh. when Michelle was away for a weekend. And um, it's, you know, she was four or five at the time. And when we got to the the dance studio, uh, one of one of Michelle's friends, another parent came up and whispered to Malia, yeah, do you want me to redo your hair? And and Malia, who had said it was fine, she's all like, "Yes, please. This is a disaster." And I overheard her, and I, I was, I realized, man, I, I'm not well equipped here. So, uh, that once I was in the presidency, as I described, uh, the, the the great good fortune was suddenly everybody came to me. I had no commute; it was literally walking down the stairs and walking down the colonnade, and. Yeah, I didn't have to pick up my dry cleaning, right? You know, so so suddenly, me being at home for dinner every night at six thirty, uh, even if I had to go back to the office afterwards, those kinds of things made a huge difference. I was fortunate. Uh, the The shifting of the perspective in terms of me being all in, mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't as hard. Partly just because I, um. It was such a, a, a an amazing break to not be thinking about you know terrorism or a wildfire and just sit there at the dinner table listening to Malia and Sasha talk about knucklehead boys and you know the teacher with the weird haircut. Yeah, it, it, it was like uh, you know just a, a vacation every time I spent time with. Them. Let's go now to uh, Chris and Peter. Now, toddler twins, a six year old. How much chaos does that generate in the house? <laughs> Do you think it's chaos, Chris? Total chaos. Yeah, it's it's a lot of chaos. Um, juggling work and home. Um, actually, I, I a lot of times feel guilty because when I go to work, um, it's a little bit of an escape. I'm not saying a lot when you work at a cancer hospital. But, <laughs> you know, two things we really have learned are, you know, patience is so important and that yeah. Also snacks and uh, good snacks, you know, preferably. (laughs) Naps and snacks, highly underrated. Yeah. Most of the time, (laughs) most most of the time when kids, kids are, are, are acting up, 
They're either tired and can't admit it or they're hungry. How, how have you guys figured out schedules though, right? Because at that age, you know, six and under, you know, uh, a lot of it is just logistics, right? Of making sure that it's almost a military operation. We have a lot of loved ones who help us out a lot. And that's been the key to our success. A babysitter, a sister, grandparents, we would not be surviving without them. Amazing. Chris, did you have a question for the president? Uh, Yes, Mr. President. Um, And it has to do with how, particularly when your daughters were young, how you explain scary world events to them. Um, My daughter, Mariana, and I have this morning routine where she gets the newspaper for me from our building lobby each morning. And one day she brought it to me and she had this sort of horrified look on her face and she handed it to me and she said, Daddy, look, what are these pictures of? And they were pictures of war and, and a lot of tragedies. And I had to think, am I going to sugarcoat this for her or am I going to explain this to her in real terms? Mm. And I tried to explain it to her in six-year-old terms. And, and I wonder how you did that with your young daughters, particularly as your president and all these issues are amplified immensely. You know, each kid has their own temperament. Um, they receive information differently at different times. Um, and, you know, so it's going to be different for everybody. Um, but Michelle and I, our general rule, uh, our, our guiding principle in, in, in raising Lee and Sasha were uh, our job is to train them to be well-functioning, resilient, you know, smart, thoughtful, kind adults. And what that meant was we kind of started explaining stuff as soon as possible Uh, in terms, again, using words and language they could understand, but man, kids are smart. They don't miss a beat and their ability to absorb and understand basic human emotions like conflict or anger, right. And, and being able to say, yeah, you know, sometimes people, Uh, Because somebody looks different or because they think differently about certain issues, they start fighting and, you know, it it hurts other people. And I I think just providing those frames pretty early on um, does two things. One one is it it, it shows respect for the kids. They sense, okay, um, my parents actually don't think I'm an idiot. Um, And the second thing it does is is it makes kids sort of reflect on their own behavior. Right. Because because it's, you know, it starts making them think, huh, well, maybe, you know, how am I dealing with somebody who does something I don't like on the playground? Right. And then you so that when you're correcting them uh, uh, in terms of how they behave, there's a context there. Right. There's a worldview that's starting to shape. Great advice. Now, let's switch things up for a bit and talk about our partners. Now, we're all dads, but, you know, we're not alone in this. You got spouses, you got grandmas, you got uncles, you got aunts, you got best friends, significant others, um, a whole community of people helping you raise your child. Carlos, you are a father of two. How do you lean into the community for support and helping you be a better, better dad? For for me, Roy, uh, it's it's two factors. Um, I have two best friends uh, and their dads, and we all have kids of varying ages. Uh, and when we're able to like sit down and catch up, uh, you know, we're, we we kind of set time aside to just talk a little bit about being a dad, and we share stories with one another. And it's it's really uh, an unspoken rule to kind of keep each other in check. 
and it, it, it's been really helpful. And, yeah. and the, the second factor and all of that really is uh, uh, just communicating with my wife. Um, we've been married for 10 years now and we learned pretty early on that if we're not, if we're not on the same page, man, nobody's going to be happier. Okay. Well, don't stop there, man. You're on with the dad in chief. Fire off a question to him. Uh, so, uh, Mr. President, uh, in your book, uh, you talk about how uh, from the time you ran from Senate all the way through your presidency, how the burden of being a parent uh, fell squarely on the shoulders of Mrs. Obama. And uh, she has no trouble calling you out on that throughout the book. Um, so like, what, what do you do to make sure that you and your partner not only are, are on the same page, but also just have each other's backs? You know, um, look, there is no doubt that Michelle carried a heavier burden of child rearing than I did, particularly uh, when they were young before we got into the White House. Michelle's having to juggle, and she was still working because her, hu her husband, you know, had decided to pursue things that paid no money. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was hard. And I, I don't think that um, I can pretend like, oh, I had this formula where I made up for the lost time or the extra burden she was carrying. Um, I think it, 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 it's, it's something that I have to weigh. And, and, and look, there was a loss for me. There are things I missed, but Michelle gives me credit for the fact that I was never the dad who, because I'm feeling guilty about not being home, suddenly is like plying, the, hey, yeah, come on, let's go get ice cream. And, ah, don't worry, they're fine. You know, they don't have to, you know, clean up their rooms or, right? Trying to be the good cop because you're, uh, you know, feeling bad about, you know, not having been there. Uh, our values were aligned uh, when it came to teaching our daughters responsibility and that there are consequences for their actions. You know, just how long should Malia be grounded after X <laughs> or Y, <laughs> right? Wow. And, you know, and once, once that, once we came up with the formula, man, you know, that, then you had to stick it out. Like if they see a crack, if they see a chink, in the armor between, you know, the two parents, man, they will exploit that. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll just, you know, drive a bus through that thing. So Felix is in a similar situation. He's been married for 11 years and Felix, you have elementary age kids. How's that partner trade-off going? Are you the one coming in bribing them with snacks when you shouldn't be doing that? Obama just told you don't bribe them with snacks, Felix. What's going on in your house? So for me and my wife, uh, finding that balance um, sometimes means meticulously planning out our schedule and knowing it on a granular level, which, which uh, parent is picking up which child and which ballet dress goes with which pair of shoes. Um, and then sometimes you're so inundated with the thick of it all with, with parenting that you don't have the luxury of having those conversations, that you just have this mountain of responsibility ahead of you. And all you can really do is look at each other, roll your sleeves up and, and get the work done. And in those moments, we've learned it's been so important to be able to detect when one of us is feeling overwhelmed or is feeling exhausted and be able to come in and say, let me take this off your plate. Let me shoulder these responsibilities so you can go rest and recharge. Um, and then on the flip side of that, when you're the one feeling that, to be able to have that 
humility and that trust to be able to come to your partner and say, I need you to step in and handle the stuff that I just, I just can't do today. Yeah. How did your relationship change after you all had the children? Uh, let's face it. Small children in particular are exhausting. It's not particularly romantic. <laughs> you are tired. Your kids you know, are crying. You're sleep deprived. You're juggling. You just got to ride that out. You know, you, ha- you have to know that there's going to be a stretch of time where they are tyrants demanding all your time, and that's okay. And your relationship bounces back as long as you keep your sense of humor. Now, you guys may have had a different experience, but that was our experience. So for those of you in the comments, please, please let us know who your partners are and who helped you in being a better father. Uh, I want to move on real quick, guys. I want to talk about our own fathers. Now, this is the old man that laid the groundwork for the types of men that we are today, the types of fathers we are today, whether they were present or absent, they helped shape us. Rob, in what ways did your father's absence or presence affect you growing up? Uh, it was <clears throat> it was absence, Roy. Thanks. Um, I think one of the the biggest ways uh, it impacted me was I always kind of felt like I was missing out a little bit. You know, I, I wanted to have someone there to play sports with me and just hang out like I saw my my friends' fathers do, um, and I would kind of re- regretted that a little bit. But it also did make those moments when my mom, who was raising two kids on her own, uh, when she made time to you know, come out and play basketball with me or something like that. Uh, it made them a little special. So, you know, I, I appreciated the sacrifice that she made a little bit more too. What's your question for the president, Rob? Um, president Obama, I'm sure that you know this stat, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. Um, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, one in four kids in America grows up without a dad in the household. And in the black community, it's more than two in four. So 50% of us grow up without that example of what a father should be. I'm just curious, how do you set an example of what a father should be when you never had that example for yourself? Right. I, I mean, Rob, look, it sounds like you and I you know, shared that uh, experience of an absent father. Um, obviously, I had other male figures in my life. Uh, my grandfather, uh, I had a stepfather for a time. You know, it it, it goes back to this, this point we made earlier about community and uh you know, we ended up having a circle of friends whose kids were, you know, anywhere from 10 years older uh, than our kids to 10 years younger. Uh, and we, Michelle and I were pretty good about actively cultivating those friendships and sustaining them all the way through our daughter's childhoods. You know, really being strategic about actively trying to shape a community. Uh, for your kids, your your friends and, and other parents from school and stuff who you guys click with, um, you know, that becomes a surrogate family. And, and that's uh, that's critically important for me. A lot of coaches and adults at community centers. I'm a product of the Boys and Girls Club in Birmingham, like these places. The thing that I always appreciated about those outside influences that weren't relatives is that for me, those were the people that told you the truth first sometimes in terms of having bouts with self-confidence because, you know, sports is the first time you can't hit the ball. You can't hit the basket and you doubt yourself. And that coach looks you in the face and says, Roy, this sport is not for you. 
You're funny though. <laughs> Focus on comedy. <laughs> yeah, were were those people were those people like that in your life coming up? That absolutely, absolutely. Which is why what Michelle and I have tried to be is also um, extended parents and support groups for other kids. And you know, a lot of the work our foundation's doing now. You know, we've got a program called My Brother's Keeper that. Uh, has tried to uh, significantly generate in cities around the country mentorship programs, uh, particularly for young uh, uh, boys of color, um, because, you know, the statistics that uh, we heard earlier, and and, uh, that makes a difference. Listen, uh, adults paying attention to kids, seeing kids, saying you count, you're important, uh, whether that's coming from a teacher, a coach, uh, an uncle, uh, a neighbor, a parent, uh, all, all that, uh, all that has an impact. All that makes a difference. Well, this next young man is a father and also a stand-up comedian, though I think I'm a little bit more professional than him. Actually, my research shows that he's only made you laugh 7.3 times, Mr. President, with the point three actually being just a shrug. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the film Fatherhood premiering on Netflix this weekend, Kevin Hart. Roy. Thanks for having me, man. Much appreciated. Mr. President, what's going on, man? Kevin, do you have a question for President Obama, who you wore a hoodie to talk to? I'm coming from the gym. I would have put on a suit. You know that. I love to dress up. I didn't have time. Mr. President, I got a movie coming out called Fatherhood, dropping on Netflix, Father's Day weekend. Here's my question. I'm playing the role of a single father that's raising a little girl, and you know, I'm going through some tough moments in this movie. And you know, the character, he has a share of ups and downs, and it's very hard for the character to hold on to his, to his personality. And it got me to think about me and my household. You know, there's never been a moment where uh, my humor has not been, I guess you can say, on the front page. It's always been something that I lean on, something that my family looks forward to and depends on, which brings me to my question for you. Has the funny changed for you? Are you still the funny dad because you come off as the funny dad? Or are things a little more serious? What level of funny are you in Obama household? Well, look, I'm not as funny as... Kevin, I'm not as funny as Roy. I'm not as funny as Michelle. And Michelle's the first one to say she's funnier. <laughs> Having said that, I'm pretty funny. Self-deprecatory humor always works. If, if you are making fun of yourself, the kids yuck it up and your spouse nods approvingly. <laughs> it's it, From their perspective, it exhibits a, a, a certain self-knowledge that, uh, you know, yeah, you are that goofy. So I, I, you know, that that's my go-to. As your kids get older, first of all, they get funnier uh, and, and more sarcastic. And if they then team up with your partner, um, uh, then you may find yourself consistently subject to big ear jokes, nose jokes, uh, how you dress jokes, how you dance jokes, uh, and Look, you just got to suck it up. I have to tell you, though, uh, fatherhood, you know, Michelle and I put together a production company. We're working with Netflix. We had a chance to see this. What we loved was that it told a story of uh, a single dad trying to figure it out. It reminded us so many of the challenges, the joys, 
heartaches, mistakes that we all have as parents. Um, yeah, they're pretty universal. As, as, your, as your daughters get older now and you shift from that parental guardian into that, let's just say 30% friend. Yeah. 70, still father, but friend. Yeah. What is that transition like? And, you know, as a, as a father, what can we expect? Uh, l- listen, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, it really is. You know, uh, when you're sitting at the dinner table and it turns out, wow, your kids turned out all right, you know, and, and they, they, they have good values and they're kind and they're thoughtful. And, um, you know, suddenly they're picking up the dishes on their own and rinsing them off and, mm-hmm. you know, asking you how you're doing. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a, a, there's a sense of accomplishment and um, satisfaction that is unmatched. Um, and that's what, you know, based on these outstanding fathers we got here, that's what you guys all had to look forward to in between though. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got a little more work to do. So, you know, uh, fasten your seat belts. Once you get to, to the teen years, you know, uh, that, that's not a stereotype. That, that, is not a, uh, that, that is not a cliche or a myth. Um, you know, it, it's different because they're pushing away and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to be independent from you. And uh, our, our daughters were, were, still wonderful, but you know, there was the monosyllabic, you know, how was your day? Fine. what you do? Nothing. Well, if I haven't learned anything else today, I've learned that you cannot bribe teenagers with snacks. So <laughs> I will take that if nothing else. Uh, hey, can, can I, Roy, can I make a comment about snacks though? It is true that generally we provided healthy snacks, <laughs> but you know, sometimes any snack is better than no snack. So <laughs> You know, and, and and I actually mean this seriously, just as parents. One thing we do sometimes make the mistake of thinking is that we're going to get this perfect. We're just not. I, you know, I mean, you're trying to figure it out as you go along. You know, we, we've got some young friends who, who are like, we just don't want our kids uh, having any screen time. And it's like, OK, well, that's fine. But if you're on a five hour flight with some four year olds. You're not a bad parent if you just get that iPad out and just have them stare at a screen for four hours so that they do not drive you and the other passengers crazy. Don't beat yourselves up. Okay, we'll go around the horn to all the fathers here. What keeps you up at night? So in in addition to screwing up, uh, it's it's also just, I, I, I never saw my parents as cool and I know I'm not cool, but I just hope at the very least my kids think I'm all right. Your kids are going to think you're a dork at some point and you're never going. I, I was president of the United States. They don't think I'm that cool. You know, I mean, shoot. So, um, so that's inevitable. I mean, like I'm already embarrassing one of them. So I, I'm on that path. I know my way around a computer and a phone. I'm terrified for the moment when I have to hand the device to my kids and say, you do it. I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, 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 that already happened to me a long time ago. It's how they're going to turn out for me. I know I'm not going to get this perfectly, but how are they going to turn out when they're 20 and 23? What I'm going to do to, to screw up, <laughs> uh, the, the, like that one mistake that he brings up, you know, when he's 25, like, why'd you do that? I'm like, I thought I was making the right choice. You can't get it perfect. Uh, there is no such thing. 
you know, in that debate about how much is nurture and how much is nature. When we're parents, probably rightfully so, we, we put a lot of emphasis on the nurture because um, we want to be responsible for everything. You know, your kids, I, I describe them sometimes, they're like plants, you know. <laughs> Our job is to make sure they've got good soil, water, sunlight. Um, you know, occasionally, you know, if there's a storm, right, you might have to put a stick there to prop them up a little bit. Uh, but generally, they're, they're unfolding in their own ways, at their own pace. They've got, you know, uh, if, if you're giving them a, a nurturing, loving environment, then a lot of the mistakes uh, they make are going to be, you know, that's what they had to do to kind of learn and to get through stuff. Comfort us. We are scared. <laughs> you guys are going to be all right. Kids will be all right. Well, we thank you very much for this discussion, Mr. President. This has been wonderful. We'll continue this conversation in the comment. And thank you so much to our wonderful, wonderful guests. And thank you to every father out there. We're blessed with the sacred job of raising the next generation. We are the ones tasked with raising the change makers who are going to reshape this world. And that task is difficult, but it is awesome. And so I hope over the past few minutes together, we've managed to educate, inspire, and support one another in being the best possible fathers that we can be. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Wave at the president, everybody. Thank you, Mr. President. Join us on Fatherly and the Dad for more information, tips, and laughs about parenting. Thank you so much for watching. Mama, I hope that I didn't embarrass you. I was the only one in a jacket. <laughs> <laughs>